0: It's another great day here on The Salty Pastor, and I want to welcome you. I am Jesse, your host and the producer of the Worship and Arts Ministry at Foothills Christian Church, located in Boise, Idaho. It is amazing to see how this podcast is resonating with people from all walks of life. People are learning and discovering what a biblical worldview is all about and how it gives answers to the most burning questions of our time. Burning. One comment we constantly hear is how this format is unique among all podcasts and how it really encourages people to grow in their faith and how it is able to peel back the layers and reveal what is actually driving what you see every day in your world. This is all made possible by the insight of our own Dr. Douglas Peake, lead pastor of Foothills Christian Church. Let's welcome Pastor Doug.
1: (laughs) Thank you, everybody, for joining us today. We're going to dig into one of the most important passages of Scripture in the book of Ephesians. We're currently in a series called Essential, and we know that a lot of people have been told they're either essential or non-essential in their work life. And so we thought we'd ask a spiritual question, and that is what does God view as essential in his view of reality. And so we've been the answer is found in the, in the book of Ephesians, and we've been studying that. And so chapter four is really a, a significant chapter in the entire book.
0: Now, it intrigues me that you say that. What makes this chapter so important in comparison to all the other chapters of Ephesians?
1: Well, that's a really good question. And it's significant uh, because in the entire New Testament, Uh, as well as just this book in particular, is because what it does is it bridges the gap. This chapter bridges the gap between the great overarching truths of the gospel. And that is, this is who Jesus is. And this is why Jesus came. And uh, to restore us, redeem us uh, back into a relationship with God and bestow his righteousness upon us. And so that, those are the great truths of the Gospel of Christ that that saves human beings, but what happens is in Chapter Four, it takes those really powerful truths you see them uh, illuminated in Chapter One and two, particular of Ephesians, and then bridges how those truths are lived out every single day of your life, and so that 's really the the, the key aspect of this chapter, I call it transitional chapter, because he takes those profound biblical truths that are part of God's cosmic plan. And then he says, OK, this is how you translate it in your everyday life.
0: So in essence, it's when someone asks, you know, what's the point of following Jesus mm-hmm. or what difference does it make what I do? Chapter four is kind of the key to all of those answers.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And the answers are really clear. In chapter 4. That doesn't mean people will understand or even practice them, but he's giving those types of very clear answers to those questions.
0: So let's jump in and start with verses 1 through 6 of chapter 4. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all.
1: Amen to that. Here we find in this chapter the goal on earth for people who are following Jesus Christ. And the the first thing we see is this really powerful phrase, You should walk in a worthy, uh, in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. So uh, people won't grow to maturity in faith if they don't set a goal to live a life worthy of of the calling to which they have been called, what does the gospel say we 've been called to, and that is is that we've been given the righteousness of Christ, where he says that in uh, chapter one, and that now we have this incredible inheritance, we have this overwhelming hope and this incomparable power that is in us through the gift of Jesus Christ when he bestows his righteousness upon us, and so We've received this, and so when we receive it, we are to walk in a manner worthy of this calling. So that's our goal, and this goal is critically important because it impacts every area of your life. Uh, In particular, he goes on in this chapter to talk about, okay, this is how it impacts your church, community, okay? Now, when you're redeemed by Christ, uh, and you come to a, a relationship with him, He gives you a gift by adopting you into his family, which is the church. So you're made a member of the church. And so what's really important is that once that happens, you should endeavor to walk in a worthy, uh, a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. If people who believe in Jesus and are following Jesus don't set that as a goal, then churches become ineffective. Churches don't grow. Churches don't expand the kingdom of god. Churches are not concerned about lost people. They're not concerned about preaching the gospel. They're not concerned about uh proclaiming the truth in the midst of a wicked and perverse generation. They're just, churches just become social clubs that are more interested in maintaining their own mm-hmm. status quo and so you got you know if we lose the calling then you lose kind of everything
0: it's, it's almost like uh, you're more worried about keeping the fish in the aquarium happy rather than being fishers of men and going out and
1: right getting those oh fish, yes right? yes we used to call that keepers of the aquarium keepers is, of the aquarium instead of fishers of men but uh but more than that too is and this is and, and i think we're, we'll get more into this on thursday but i think this is a lot of what we're seeing in our in our society today is that is that so church is a community and what's really fascinating is a lot of the institutions that make America, you know, function like it does really really well even though they're flawed is that just like churches are flawed, right? because they're filled with flawed people. However, because the insti- the they're 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 a shadow of that institution and because the church institution, you know, the people in it uh don't live in a manner worthy of the calling with which they have been called and churches have become ineffectual in in many different ways because of that. But then what that does is that has transcended into our concept of marriage. And the nuclear family. We talked about this in the last week, right. and how that's falling apart. And guess what? If you don't try to endeavor to walk in a manner of the worthing with uh, of the calling with which you've been called, then your marriage isn't going to grow. Your marriage isn't going to thrive. Your marriage isn't going to uh, get better. Uh, it, it extends out into your family and your kids and your whole family life. You know, you can't just put it on cruise control. Otherwise, you fall asleep at the wheel and it goes into the borrow ditch kind of a thing you can't uh sports teams and and uh, your career your business all these types of things are negatively impacted if we don't have this as a goal you know so every day you should get up in the morning and say this is i've been called by god to live this day and to live it in this way so i think it's really important to understand that then he goes in verses seven and nine we don't need to read them but it shows that guess who makes this possible jesus it says that he has given you the gifts through grace in order to live according to the calling with which you've been called.
0: So if this is the goal of life here on earth, when you follow Jesus, how do how do we do that? Like if this is the big grand plan, what's yeah. how, do we, how are we getting there?
1: Well, he gets pretty specific there. He says the, the number one goal is make every effort. So that should be your hot, top priority is to keep the unity of the spirit. So he says we need to be humble and gentle. That's how you keep the unity of the Holy Spirit. All right. Is you keep the unity of the Holy Spirit with yourself. Right. He says you don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. You don't want to sear. in Timothy, he says, you don't want to sear your conscience uh, with a branding iron against the instruction of the Holy Spirit. You want to be in unity with the Holy Spirit of God guiding and leading you. You also want to be in unity with the holy spirit that is bringing about peace amongst all the other people that are following christ and once that reigns supreme then that peace is going to be influential in your neighborhood and society in which it becomes a salty seasoning influence you know the city set on a hill that cannot be hidden the light of the world let your light so shine in a way that it brings glory to god and we're all about being salty here on yeah salty we are being pastor. about salty and salty pastors. so so i think humble and gentle you have to be patient you have to bear with one another in love and so that's kind of what he does i i believe it's an impossible thing to do on your own and this is why he goes on to say there is one body one faith one baptism and one spirit which I love
0: that verse. And it actually makes a lot of sense because I see what you're talking about concerning a transition when we look a little bit further forward into verses 11 and thir- uh, through 13.
1: Yeah, let's kind of dig into that real quick because this is where you see some really important distinctions. And, and what happens is a lot of times when pre- people preach the, through the Bible, what they'll do is they section these off. Uh, because it seems like there's a natural break but what but what, what Paul when he wrote this they would stand up and they would read the whole thing in one service the whole book or the, the whole thing the whole book oh my gosh yeah the chapters and verses people were not people complain about how long churches these days <laughs> if
0: they were using they used to be reading uh entire books of them <laughs> yeah
1: well w- what they would do is they would read it you know, out loud the entire thing The the chapters and verses weren't added until like the sixth or seventh century. And they were added just for people to basically uh, reference. Yeah. Markers. Reference markers. That's all they were. And so, uh, they weren't in the original text. And so it was meant to be read as one thought. I mean, and Paul wasn't
0: writing little numbers no, in the, no, in no, the no. sides of his letters. That doesn't make sense. When
1: you see the manuscripts, you know what else? There's, no, there's really no punctuation and there's no spaces between just the letters. Just a stream of consciousness. <laughs> it's just a stream of letters that they tried to cram everything because it was really <laughs> expensive to write stuff down. But, uh, but what's really fascinating is he... Uh, has this idea that I'm going to read for you real quick in 11 through 13 connected with the main declarative statement in verses 1 through 3 of chapter 6. And it goes like this. So Christ, Jesus, right, who gave us the gifts to live in a way to preserve the bond of unity. And he says, Christ gave you the grace. Now, what is this grace we've received to do this? And then he says this jesus christ himself gave us apostles prophets evangelists pastors and teachers oh so what he gave is this community this one body he gave leadership gifts to it okay so everybody in the body has a gift we see how paul articulates this concept in first corinthians chapter 12 in particular and that is is that we're all a part of a body but some of the gifts are designed to lead the body and what is the purpose of their leadership verse 12 to equip his people meaning all of us people in the church for works of ministry or works of service so you have a particular gift given to you by the holy spirit And if you want to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, you should discover what your gift is from God and then use it in a ministry. That's why the third purpose, strategic purpose of Foothills Christian Church is this, is we want people to connect to their mission in life. And that means, so you need to discover your spiritual gift and then go live it. You know, and our goal is to help you go live that. We want to coach you and encourage you in how to do it. Now, why is it that these leadership gifts are designed to help you discover your spiritual gift and what your ministry is or your mission in life is? He says a very important thing. He goes, so that that's a very important transitional phrase. The body of Christ may be built up. So how do we preserve the bond of unity that he talks about back in verses one and two? Well, by building a healthy church community, right? He says, and that's all of our responsibility. So as the body of Christ may be built up, why do you want your church to be strong? Why do you want the body of Christ to be strong? In verse 13, he says very powerfully, until you and I, all of us, reach unity in the faith. Okay, he doesn't say unity of dress, unity of food choices uh, unity of music preferences unity of political views what he does say though is we must have unity in the faith the essential truths of the gospel of jesus christ and in the knowledge of the son of god he says so when we have unity in faith And we have unity in our knowledge of the Son of God. So our knowledge about who is Jesus Christ, which is the gospel. And it says, and at that point we will become mature. And we will attain to the full measure or the whole measure of every good thing, the fullness of Christ Jesus. So your personal spiritual growth is directly linked to his body, which is the church. Jesus gave gifts of leadership to the church in order for you to discover your ministry, and that creates unity. And then as the church, as a community, seeks to build itself up around these leadership gifts and your spiritual gift and your ministry, you as an individual grow to maturity in faith. And that's the goal, is to be mature in faith.
0: What a great promise, because I mean, It's just, it it all, it's cyclical. As you build your faith, you help the church grow and it just kind of keeps rolling. And then that in turn helps you yeah. grow, so and the people around
1: you grow. mutually
0: beneficial symbiosis, basically. Yeah, those are some
1: big words you're throwing out there, Jesse. Well, I got, I got to
0: use them sometimes because you're the one that usually hits me with the big words. So yeah. what does Paul see as the benefits of being a mature person?
1: Well, this is what's really great because he launches into verse 14. He specifically says, when you're a... a of A mature person, and you're experiencing the fullness of Jesus Christ. Verse fourteen says, "Then we will no longer be infants." So Paul sees being an inf- an infant in faith, an infant in knowledge, an infant in belief, as not a good thing. He he realizes we all start there, right? Right. But staying there is not good. And here's why he goes because you are tossed back and forth by the waves oh, well, okay, we live in Idaho, and there's not a lot of ocean waves, about any waves in Idaho. <laughs> yes. So what does he mean by that? He goes, well, you, you're tossed back and forth by the waves when you are blown here and there by every wind of teaching and the cunning and craftiness of pe- people in their de- uh, deceitful scheming. And the Greek word for scheming is methodia. And that's the word we get method from. Mm. So there's a lot of people in our world today who are cunning, they are crafty, and they have a method in which they propagate teaching. And what happens is this teaching gets real trendy really fast. And a lot of people jump on the bandwagon with it. And we've talked about this in the podcast before that bandwagon jumping is not a good thing when you're a follower of Christ. Right. You know, you should be open to what people want to share. You need to find out what it is that they're pushing or postulating. And then you need to compare it with what you know with the scriptures And a a professor that I had in my undergrad, he said it this way. You know, as a father of Christ, uh, as you're growing in your faith, you should always be really open to new ideas, but very slow to change your mind. (laughs) And so I thought, well, that's a great way to say it, is that you should be willing to listen, but then you should don't jump on the bandwagon, because then you're going to be tossed by every wind of teaching. And here's what's really interesting. He goes, the opposite of this verse 15 he says instead speaking the truth in love we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of jesus who is the head that is christ from him the entire body the church is joined and held together by all of us every supporting ligament who grows and builds itself up in love we do this because we love it and each part is participating or doing its work. So Paul sees maturity as strength. He sees maturity as power. He sees maturity as courage. Maturity is confidence. And all of these things will lead to peace in the midst of the storms of this world in which we live, and it will lead to greater love. So your strength, my strength, everybody listening, your strength is directly connected to your church community's strength. And like you said, it's a symbiotic relationship. And so um, I I think this is a very clear admonition. There is no such thing as I'm doing faith on my own. Uh, I'm going to go do my own thing. Or, you know, the church is my ski slope. Uh, (laughs) Those are fun (laughs) things to say. And I'll tell you, you know, skiing on a you know, a blue banner day can be pretty spiritually uplifting, but that's not your church. Right. You know, and that's not what's gonna grow you strong. As a matter of fact, if you hold to those tenets, you're actually undermining the strength of your faith. And you're making yourself susceptible to being tossed like an infant by every wind of doctrine. Uh I I saw a video recently uh on YouTube and I like to watch these wildlife videos. You know, there's a whole bunch of, you know, videos of all these different like things. Like off National
0: Geographic.
1: Yeah, you know, people, they go on safaris, they go on stuff, and their phones now are such a great thing. And they, they shoot videos, and they get videos of stuff happening. You know, this is really cool. Sometimes they're, they're hunting expeditions, safari expeditions, or they're just sightseeing. And there was one where this person caught, there was a lioness that got surrounded By herself, all right? The lions are the king of the Serengeti. They're the top of the food chain. Right. But she got surrounded by a pack of hyenas, and they were devouring her. She couldn't do anything. They were coming up and they were biting her and she turned around, and even though she was so much stronger and powerful, you know, cause hyenas are half the size. Right. There were so many of them, you know, eight or nine of them. So every time she'd turn around to swat one, another one would rush in and bite her on the haunch. And so you're sitting there and you're like, Oh my goodness, this lioness is going to be toast. And then suddenly into the frame comes the pride like five of her sisters come oh in gosh. and they just wreak havoc on those hyenas <laughs> and it's like those hyenas are toast. I mean they just I mean they were breaking backs you and gotta, taking chunks. You gotta chunks imagine and... all those
0: silly hyenas from the Lion King that are yeah.
1: like. <laughs> oh yeah they were screaming and run. They, they fled like no tomorrow and a half of them didn't make it you know and, and so that little caption after the video is what happens when your posse shows up and right. I'm like yeah that's what happened is her bossy showed up and the but the the point of that uh is so clear in that even when you're the lion you're weak when you're roaming alone
0: so it seems like the rest of the chapter becomes focused on how we as individuals should live out our part in making our church healthy um -hmm. is that is that kind of what it's focused on
1: yeah, and and it's really interesting because what he does is he says, how do you make your church healthy? And uh, this is going to be a little pastoral at this time. But uh, a lot of times people come up to me. the second me, of the podcast. We've done the salty <laughs> portion. Now you're doing the pastor portion. Doing the pastor portion is that as a pastor, uh, it, it's regular communication. And everybody who does what I do will concur and that is each week i get anywhere from three to five uh, emails sometimes ten a sunday doesn't go by where someone catches me in the hallway and i want to be careful here because it's well-intentioned it's usually given in gentleness and love not always but it's it's always this your church should do this (laughs) and it's like um i i wish for a moment i had the time to sit down and say when you do that what you're doing is you're grieving the holy spirit's work in you because the church isn't a thing that you look at and say if it followed my opinion it would be better it doesn't work that way. And you th- and then you walk around going, why doesn't the church do this? Well, the church would be more fill-in-the-blank, you know, more loving, more kind, more effective, if it did what I thought. Without realizing what you've fallen into, and I'm going to use bullet: is you've fallen into the deceptive trap of Satan, and your faith is, at that moment, become ineffectual. Hmm. It doesn't benefit you, it doesn't benefit the church, and it grieves the Holy Spirit's work. You're telling the Holy Spirit... I don't want you to work in my life when you do that. Now, someone says, I'm not saying that. I just want my church to be better. I know, but you're being tossed here and there by every wind of doctrine. You see, you, you, you took something that you thought was cool. And then you think, well, if I could just get my church to do it, it would be a better place. Because listen to what Paul says if you want your church to be healthy and you want it to grow, he says this. He goes, so I'm telling you this. Everybody's listening to this. This is verse 17. they 17. I'm telling you, I insist on it. That's pretty strong language. That's very strong. Language. Yeah. He goes, you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the fertility of their thinking. So what does he say? He says the way for the church to get healthier and stronger is not to have opinion about what it should do. It means get your house in order. Hmm. If you want your church to be stronger, you live in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. You want your church to be healthy, you deal with your own stuff first. And you know this is true. And that is, is how can I help people get healthier if I'm unhealthy myself? How can I get a toxic person to grow through their toxicity and find healing and redemption when I'm toxic myself? You know, it's the age old thing is that if you're flying on a plane and it loses pressure and the masks drop out, what do they always tell you to do?
0: Put your mask on first. (laughs)
1: Yeah, yeah, because it's hard to help your kids and everybody else when you're passed out from (laughs) asphyxia, right? You got to be able to breathe and then you can take care of everybody else. And this is what Paul is doing. He's saying, look, the way your church is healthy is for you to work on yourself. He goes, don't live as Gentiles do because they're darkened in understanding. They're darkened in their understanding. They're ignorant of what God wants to do. Their hearts are hardened and they've lost all sensitivity. Verse 19. And when you lose sensitivity, you give yourself over to sensuality. Why do you do that? Well, you do it because when you lose sensitivity, you become numb.
0: And you want to feel something.
1: And you want to feel something. And sensuality is the way in which we feel something, you know. This is why so many people drink alcohol uh, and abuse it in our society today is... You know, you're, you're stressed out, you, you're numb, and so you want to feel something. This is why people pursue uh, sexuality and pornography and all these types of things. Why? Because you're numb and you want to feel something. And, I mean, we could just go down the list of all the things that happen in sensuality because we want to feel alive, you know. Right. And he goes on, he goes, look, when you give yourselves over to sensuality, then you start to indulge things that are bad for you, all these kinds of impurities and you get greedy, meaning you want more of it. Right? You want more of it. And this is called the law of diminishing returns. And that is, is that uh uh when you take something, your body gets used to it, and so to get that same feel, you need to take more than you did before. And so that's kind of the hard part of it. He goes, in verse 20 he goes, look, I want you to know you never learned about Jesus this way. This isn't the way of Jesus. Verse 21, when you heard about Jesus you were taught in him. You were taught a truth. And here is the truth that's in Jesus. Verse 22. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. Because his old self is being corrupted. And what you want, these things are deceiving you. They're deceitful desires. They're deceiving you. You need to be made new. And this is what's really, it begins by being made new in the attitude of your mind. Number 24 to put on your new self, which is created to be like God and true righteousness and holiness. And basically what he's talking about is we're deceived by our desires because we try to build our identities around our desires. You know, um, oh, when I have to pastorally shepherd people who are dealing with um, uh, dim addictions, you know, they come in and they say, uh, you know, I'm just an addict. I'm never going to get better. And I say, well, no, you are a child of God who has an addiction. You know, uh, I have people come in and say to me, "Well, when it comes to sex, I'm fill in the blank." You know, I have people tell me, "Well, I'm transgendered." I have people come to, "Well, no, I'm bisexual." No, oh well, I'm a serial monogamist. You know, I can't be faithful. I've had people tell me, "No, I'm homosexual." You know, and what I share with them is this: is that no, that's not your identity. You. Ca- you cannot build an identity of the nature of a human being around a desire or an orientation you just can't do that um what you're going to do is you're going to you're going to end up falling into a trap from which you can never escape right um and so uh, so the whole issue about these things is that they they deceive us into believing this is who we really are, and so we can't see ourselves as God sees us in the redemptive act of Jesus Christ. And so our identity should never be in these things and behaviors of this world, they should always be in the righteousness that has been bestowed upon us by Christ through faith. It's an act of grace. And when we, our faith opens up that door, that healing and restoration comes in. So what you are is, he says in chapter one, you are an adopted into God's family. So that's your identity in Christ. So anyway, he goes on to talk more and more about this. And then he gets really, really specific in verses 29 about how your everyday speech and your everyday attitude towards one another should be one of, Kindness, And he uses this word in, in verse 30. Again, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God because you were sealed for the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit sealed you for redemption. So don't grieve the Holy Spirit and block off the work of the Holy Spirit's work in your life. So it's really interesting. You want your church to be healthy. You want the world to change because your church becomes a voice, a light in the darkness. Then the best thing to do is for you to, is to work on yourself and your faith and grow in the Lord.
0: Well, you were not kidding when you said (laughs) this chapter is full of some major, major principles. Major things. We're going to have to keep covering this on Thursday. We're going to dive even Mm -hmm. deeper, unpack even more of it, Mm -hmm. um, which I'm really excited about. I'm already just like... I I just love this chapter so much already based on what you've already been talking about. So Mm -hmm. if you guys are watching on YouTube, make sure you leave a comment. If you have any questions for Pastor Doug um, that you'd like answered, make sure you leave a like, subscribe to the YouTube channel. That helps other people find um, this amazing content Mm -hmm. that Pastor Doug's putting out. And uh, if you're on Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star rating that again helps Mm -hmm. spread the word otherwise we will see you guys on thursday for the next episode of the salty pastor
1: (laughs) blessings everyone